Good evening, everyone. Let's just uh, pause for another moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you are about to do tonight. Lord, it is, it is hot in here. And I'm reminded of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were also once in a hot place. But Lord, your presence made that heat bearable, made it even unnoticeable. In the same way tonight, Lord, we pray that your presence might be with us in this hot place. So that as we hear your word, we might forget about this heat. As our hearts are drawn by the heat of your love for us and your love for this world. Speak to us, Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last night, we talked about what it means to rise. Tonight, we're going to talk about what it means to build. And uh, I'm reminded of that story, that historical narrative where uh, we are told the children of Israel had been taken to Babylon. And there in Babylon, they had served 70 years, and then by a divine decree of God, they were allowed to return to their homeland and to begin to what? To build. To begin to build. Uh, I know that when that decree went forth, uh, some of the people, not all of Israel, went back to build. They had become comfortable in Babylon. And I think about the parallels today. In 1844, something very special happened, and God called, began to call a people out of Babylon. And just as he uh, in ancient times had called the people out of Babylon to go back and to build a temple. So in 1844, God began to call a people to come out of Babylon, to come out of confusion, and to begin to build his last day temple on planet Earth. It is not a building made with hands. The Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
But just as then I am fearful, so now. That many of God's people have become comfortable in Babylon. We have become comfortable with our lifestyle, comfortable with our accomplishments. And so the work languishes on. God is calling a people, therefore, in these last days to rise up and build. And if we want to build, we need to know how to build. It's interesting, I think of another uh, uh, um, historical account, again with the children of Israel and again with the temple, this Solomon's temple. And the story goes that as Solomon's temple was being built, and all these stones were being brought to help build the temple, there was one stone in particular that seemed out of shape and out of place. And they moved that stone to the side, and uh, uh, the stone was, it, it got in people's way. People would stub their toe on the stone. They would do all the, the stone just kind of irritated the people because it was just in the way, and it seemed out of place. And they eventually built the entire temple, but then there was that one piece, that corner piece, in which they needed a special stone. And they began to search high and low, where, where can we find this special stone to fit, to finish the work of the temple? And by the way, why, what was the purpose of building the temple? It was so that God's glory could fill that temple. But the glory could not fill the temple until the temple was complete. And here they're searching for the stone. And then someone recognizes or realizes this cornerstone, this, this stone that seemed out of place, that, that everyone passed by. This was the very stone that was perfectly fitted to finish off the temple. Beloved, tonight I want to share something with you that may at first seem offensive to us as Seventh-day Adventists. But is it possible that as we have gone forth to build, is it possible that we have set aside the chief cornerstone. Is it possible that as we have gone forth with our message to call a people out of Babylon and into the truth, could it be possible, beloved, that we have missed something crucial in the finishing of this last day work? I want you to open your Bibles with me to Revelation 18. Revelation chapter 18, and I want you to notice with me verse 1. The Bible says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, 
and the earth was lightened with his glory. This angel is the angel known as that fourth angel, that angel that, that comes with latter rain power, that angel that comes to add power and glory to the three angels' messages. The angel is said to add two things, just so that I know you're with me. Can you repeat them? They are to add what? Glory and power. How many living people do we have out there in the audience today? Raise your hand. All right. Anyone dead out there? Raise your hand. Okay, you're all alive. Good. The angel is to descend with two things. What are they? Glory and power. This angel descends with the final piece, as it were, to the last day work of God's people. We might ask the question, what is that final piece? What is that final glory and power? I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 the Bible tells us here, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let me ask you something. Where is the glory of God most clearly seen in all of Scripture and in all of creation? It is at the cross. Hold that thought. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says here, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the what? power of God. So we've got two things we've just read here. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 tells us that the preaching of the cross is the what? power of God. Galatians 6.14 tells us that God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. So then what we begin to understand here is this piece, this final piece that this angel of Revelation 18 descends with to add power to the three angels message is nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The chief cornerstone. Now you need to understand that as Seventh-day Adventists, you're probably saying to yourself right now, but hold on, Pastor, we already have Jesus Christ and him crucified. We need to be out there preaching the three angels' messages. I want to share with you tonight that you're wrong. <laughs> I want to share with you tonight that we have not been doing as God has wanted us to do. I want to share with you tonight that we have set aside the chief cornerstone in our preaching and especially in our evangelistic meetings. You want to know what we've done? We've preached our entire, we'll preach an entire sermon on the Sabbath, and at the end, when they start to play the appeal, we'll then start to talk about the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone becomes the bookends of the message. It is not the center of the message. I want you to listen. 
Christ's Object Blessings, page 415, the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. We're told here the last rays of merciful light to go to the world is a revelation of his character of love. And that revelation is most clearly demonstrated in the cross. Notice again with me. Evangelism, page 191. The message, this message, was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. Let me pause right here. How many of you are familiar with our history of 1888? Okay. Some of you are, some of you are not. In 1888, God gave a very special message to this church. And Ellen White here is referring to this message. It says here, this message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. Now, when I mention the uplifted Savior, what do you see? The cross. Very good. The uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Centuries, ages can never diminish the, effect, the efficacy of this atoning sacrifice. The message of the gospel of His grace was to be given to the church in clear and distinct lines that the world should no longer say that Seventh-day Adventists taught the law of the law, but do not teach or believe Christ. In other words, beloved, in 1888, and by the way, Ellen White tells us that what happened in 1888 was an angel descended with the message of the loud cry ready to give to the world, but to a large degree, let me put it in my own words, the chief cornerstone was laid aside. You must not have understood. <laughs> the message of the uplifted Savior was laid aside because, wait a minute, we already have that. We already believe in Jesus. We've got a special message, a distinct message. We've got to preach the law. And so the stone was laid to the side. Come on, let's keep building. Let's keep building. Let's keep building. Listen to me. The latter rain will not be poured out until the temple is complete. Rise up and build. Good news tonight, beloved. There's not much more building to take place. Nobody is. Oh, I guess I was the only excited one. There's not much more to build. The entire structure is there in place. There's just one thing missing. What can you imagine that? Think with me how close we can be to the temple being filled with the glory of God. Let, let me finish reading the quote here. Gospel Workers, page 156. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the presentation of the Sabbath truth. This truth, with others included in the message, is to be proclaimed. But the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. 
It is at the cross of Christ that mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The sinner must be led to look to Calvary with the simple faith of a child. He must trust in the merits of the Savior, accepting his righteousness, believing in his mercy. We're told that we are not to forget Christ, who is the great what? Center of attraction. Not the bookend of attraction, the center of attraction. Presenting the cross of Calvary, we are to behold, we are to cry, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When we shall cease to trust in man and make God our efficiency, we shall see the earth filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I know I'm reading many quotes here. I've got one more. We're good. Hanging upon the cross... Christ was the gospel. I love that quote. You know when the first angel's message, when it says, I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel? What is the message that the angel is, to go for, that the angel is going forth with? Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. She goes on to say, now we have a message. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Will not our church members keep their eyes fixed on a crucified and risen Savior in whom their hopes of eternal life are centered? This is our message. She's talking about the cross. Listen. Listen to what she says. This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope for every believer. Wow. If we can awaken an interest in men's minds that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ, we may step aside and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes upon the Lamb of God. Beloved, we have not made Jesus Christ the center of our doctrine. Now, Jesus Christ is the center of our doctrine. We just have not preached the center of our doctrine. So what we're going to do now is going to be a wonderful exercise, and it will be really good if you had pen and paper because you're probably going to want to write some of this down. If you come to learn how to build something, it will be good to take instructions on how to build. Amen? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to go through the Bible, and we're going to find out that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the center of our entire message. Amen? Are you ready? Let's go. Starting with Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, the cross of Christ is present. You say, where? I don't see it. I tell you it's there. Work with me. Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar sees an image. Uh, uh, he has a dream, sees an image. Daniel tells him what his dream means. He tells him about the image. In the, in the dream, he sees a head of what? Gold, chest and arms of? Silver, belly and thighs of? Br bronze, uh, legs of? Iron, toes of? Iron and clay. 
Uh, if you will notice with me, in Daniel chapter 2, we find here an incredible allusion or reference to the cross. In Daniel 2, I want you to notice verse, let's see where we are, verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. How many of you saw it? Say amen. You saw the cross. Nobody saw the cross. <laughs> that's, why, that's because you're not looking. Anybody ever heard of Waldo? You remember Waldo? You know the, the, the books you had when you were little and the whole uh, objective was to find Waldo? Waldo was somewhere in there, but you just had to look how? Carefully, remember? Beloved, listen, the cross of Christ is, 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 is plastered all over the scriptures. So let me ask you something. What kingdom is this talking about here? This fourth kingdom that was to break in pieces and bruise. What kingdom was that? Rome. Question. Was Jesus broken? Do you remember when he was at the Last Supper and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is what? Broken for you. Who broke Jesus? Rome broke Jesus. In fact, do you remember when the Bible says that he was, uh, 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 he was uh, bruised for our iniquity? Who bruised Jesus? Come on now. Who is it that bruised Christ? It was Rome. It was the Roman Empire. Beloved, what is a, this is the, a, a direct reference to the fact that Rome would seek to destroy Jesus Christ. Why? Babylon represented a what? It was a kingdom. Medo-Persia was a kingdom. Uh, uh, Greece was a kingdom. Rome was a kingdom. And when Rome heard that another king had come upon the scene who was supposed to overthrow the Romans, supposedly, what did they do with that supposed king? They broke and bruised him. Now listen. They didn't want a spiritual kingdom set up on earth. They rejected the kingdom of the Messiah. And in fact, every kingdom after that, the ten toes, what do the ten toes represent? They represent the, 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 the broken down kingdoms of the Roman Empire, which are the kingdoms of today. And beloved, all those kingdoms are still at war against the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Rome thought that they were breaking and bruising Christ, Christ was actually setting up his what? His kingdom through his sacrifice at the cross. Amen? So now, this is beautiful. I want you to notice with me. Uh, um, Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. Then we're going to jump right back to Daniel. Matthew 21. Who remembers? Well, fair, let, me, let me read this first. Matthew 21. Let me ask you something. I'll ask you first. Who remembers what happened at the end of that, of, of that dream? Nebuchadnezzar's dream. There was a what? A stone that was cut out, and the stone did what? Smite the image on the feet, and the image was broken to what? Pieces. Listen with me. Matthew 21, 
Matthew chapter 21 and verse 40. We'll start with verse, verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jump down with me to verse 44. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be what? Broken, but on whomever it shall fall, it will grind them to powder. What happened in the image of Daniel 2? The stone grinds the image to powder. Why? Daniel 2 is a prophecy, beloved, telling us that all who reject the cross of Christ <laughs> You guys are making me sweat up here, and then you're not even getting it. <laughs> all who reject the cross of Christ will, in fact, be ground, grinded to powder see we've been taking Daniel too God knows the future God knows it yes God knows the future but beloved the prophecy prophecy is ultimately to tell us that those who reject the cross have no future did you follow go with me to Daniel chapter 7 very quickly Daniel chapter 7 in Daniel 7, we find in verse 25 a prophecy that tells us that the man of sin would think to change what? Times and laws. Now, how do, what does that have to do with the cross? Well, beloved, very simple. You remember that when Jesus died at the cross, the Bible tells us in Matthew 26, it was our opening verse, when he said, this is the blood of my new what? Covenant or testament. What is the new covenant? God writes his law where? On our hearts now, when Jesus said, this is the blood of my covenant or the testament, what he was saying was, my blood confirms the covenant. Somebody say amen. amen. The, the sacrifice that I, that I uh, did on the cross, that blood, that the, the fact that I was willing to die, the cross uh, 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 verifies the, 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 the covenant, that the covenant cannot be changed. I confirmed it with my blood. So when the man of sin thinks to change times and laws, which is nothing else but another way of saying thinking to change a new covenant, what he's really warring against is what the cross stands for. How many of you see that? It's a war against the cross of Christ. Go with me to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 and verse, verse 14, very popular prophecy, very uh, important prophecy to Seventh-day Adventists. The Bible tells us, after 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And you know what we talk about with that prophecy? We say, look, in 2,300 days, guess what happens? The judgment begins. You better watch out. Beloved, we miss one of the most crucial points of the investigative judgment, and that is this. What was the only hope of the Israelite on the Day of Atonement? What was it that cleansed him from his sins? Wow. Do we talk about the blood 
when we mention the 2400 day prophecy or do we just scare people to death the judgment began in 1844 are you scared now? Now that you're scared to death, let me tell you what you must do. No, beloved, we are to point people to the fact that our only hope is in the blood shed for us at Calvary. The 2300-day beloved prophecy points us not only to the broken law of God, but to the shed blood of the Lamb. Amen? Let's include both. Making our doctrines christ Center Daniel 9 and verse 27. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Again, the Bible tells us here, and he shall do what? Confirm the covenant with many for one week. The Bible tells us that through the cross of Christ, the covenant was to be confirmed. So now, when I'm sharing with my non-Adventist friends, I just ask them, hey, do you believe in the cross? Yes, I believe in the cross. Well, the Bible tells us that the cross confirms the covenant. You reject the covenant. You are rejecting the cross. Wow. Do you also realize... Daniel 9, 27, towards the very end, it says, And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. In fact, let's read that up in verse, uh, the earlier part of verse 27. In the midst of the week shall he cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation and that, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. The Bible tells us here that because of the sacrifice of Christ, the temple in Jerusalem would lay desolate until the consummation. That is until the end. So then, to believe that the Bible teaches anything about a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem is to deny what the cross accomplished. How many of you follow that? Do you see this? We are, we are making our doctrines, we are trying to present our doctrines centered in the chief cornerstone. Notice again with me Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Daniel 11 and verse 32, the Bible tells us here, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Again, the Bible tells us here that Antichrist would seek to corrupt people who would do wickedly against the covenant. The covenant is that very thing sealed at the cross of Christ, which lets us know that the people who do know their God are the people who understand what the cross really means. Did you get that the people who do know their God who understand what the cross accomplishes those are the ones that are going to be strong and do mighty exploits what are we talking about rise up and what Bill, God is saying, go out and do exploits, but you've got to do those exploits understanding the cross or the blood of the covenant somebody say amen all right. Notice with me Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, uh, uh, such as since there was a nation. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. What book? The book of the life. The life of who? The Lamb. What? What is the full name of this book? 
It is the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Only those who are written in the book of the life of the Lamb, what everyone? Slain. In other words, those who have rightly understood and accepted the cross of Christ and what it really stands for, those are the ones that God is coming back to resurrect. Do you see how central the cross is? Notice with me Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. We have just gone through the entire book of Daniel. We are now moving to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And notice with me verse 5. The Bible tells us here, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We have here a reference to the cross, beloved. Only those who have been washed in the sacrifice of Christ are those who will make it through the end times. Amen. Notice with me Revelation 3 verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will what? Sup with him and he with me. How many of you want Jesus to come in and sup with you? Amen. But guess what? Never ask yourself this question. What's the meal? What's the meal and who's preparing it? Am I preparing for you or is the Lord bringing the meal? <laughs> you want to know what the meal is? Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. By the way, this message is given to the what church? What church? Which church couldn't hear you? Laodicean church, the church that's, that thinks that she's got the temple all built. Ooh. The church that thinks that she's got it all together. Jesus says, no, you're missing something, and what you're missing is my sacrifice. You're not making me the center of your preaching and your teaching. Yes, you're going forth with the three angels' messages, but I've got something else that if you add this to your message, it will be so powerful that no sincere Christian will be able to deny it. Do you want to eat with Jesus? Notice Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. The Bible tells us here, Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast, what everyone? Slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. God, Jesus, is found worthy to open the book because of what he did for us. Where? At Calvary at the cross. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. The Bible says, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues and tongues stood before the Lamb and the throne, uh, before the throne and the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Why are they clothed with white robes? The Bible tells us, where is it? Right here in verse... 14, 
These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them what? White in the blood of the beloved. How many of you are seeing the cross plastered all over the book of Revelation, all over the book of Daniel, and our preaching, our evangelistic meetings are void of the cross? The cross is the bookends. And then we try to get all that knowledge in there and say, now will you accept the message? Beloved, you see, when we begin to lift up Christ in everything we say and do, Jesus promises, and I, if I be lifted up, will do what? Draw all men unto me. Notice with me Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. Revelation 11 verse 19, the Bible says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in this temple the ark of his testament. What do we say this is a reference to? In 1844, we said the people by faith looked up and they looked up into the heavenly sanctuary and they saw the Ark of the Testament. And what, what is in the Ark of the Testament, everybody? Come on, what's in there? Say it loud so I can hear you. Yep. Look at that. The Ten Commandments. Anything else in the Ark? Oh, yeah, Aaron's rod that budded, and the manna. Oh, the manna. What did the manna represent anyway? Did that not represent the broken body of Jesus? When he said that I am the bread of life, and the bread that I give is my life or my flesh for the world? You see, beloved, we point to the law, but we totally forget about the one who died to cleanse us from the transgression of the law. The cornerstone has been moved to the side. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the... Come on, everyone. They overcame him by the what? Blood of the Lamb. I mean, how many times is God going to have to hammer it into us? Listen, lift up the cross and watch what happens. Those who overcome in the last days are those who have the principle of the cross deeply founded in their hearts. In fact, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible tells us here, Revelation 13, verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Do you know what you just read? Those who do not rightly understand the cross and what it really means and do not accept it into their hearts are the ones that are going to end up being deceived by Lucifer. And I, if I be lifted up, I want you to notice with me Revelation chapter 15 verse 2. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. How did they get the victory? Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him by the what? By the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 16, verse 15. Revelation 16, verse 15. The Bible tells us here, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Blessed is he that keepeth his garments clean. How do you keep your garments clean? In the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, it's all over the Scripture. Notice with me Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18 verse 4, where the Bible says, Come out of Babylon, my people. Why, who is God calling Babylon? Or let me ask it this way. When Babylon, where God calls Babylon, people out of Babylon, how is he planning to pull them out of Babylon? 
and I, if I be what? Lifted up, will draw. How are we going to draw people out of Babylon? Lift up the cross, beloved. Lift up the cross. Here's one that I really love, Revelation 19, verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses. Do you know when Jesus comes, up, comes back again, he's going to be coming with a garment dipped in blood? You want to know why? Listen, when... How many of you, when you remember being in like, you know, maybe junior high school or kindergarten or maybe first through fourth grade, and you might call your friend up and say, hey, tomorrow I'm wearing my blue jeans and my gray, yellow, red t-shirt. You wear your blue jeans and your gray, yellow, red t-shirt. And then you got to school and you saw each other and you were just so excited because you were wearing the same And you just walked around because you were like, yeah, we are declaring that we are special friends. <laughs> Beloved, Jesus is a child at heart. When he comes back, beloved, he's coming in a garment dipped in blood. Because he's expecting to see his friends in their garments dipped in blood. So when he comes back, he's going to say, look, look, and we're going to be like, Yes, beloved, Jesus is going to declare that we are his special friends and he's going to be wearing that special garment that God's people will also be wearing because they both realize the importance of his sacrifice that everything came down to an acceptance and the correct understanding of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. In fact, Revelation 21 Revelation 21 and verse 27, the Bible says, And there shall in no wise enter anything into it, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life slain. And that book of life is the same book of life slain, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Notice with me the very next chapter, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of it, there was a tree of life. Now listen, who is it that gets to eat from the tree of life? Only those who ate from the tree of life on earth. You say, what is that tree of life? When Jesus hung upon that tree, he became the fruit that we were to pluck from and eat. So only those who eat from the tree of life will be able to eat from that tree in heaven. Beloved, Christ is the center of Daniel. He is the center of Revelation. And now for the fun part of the message. Our doctrines, beloved, are so Christ-centered that we need not preach them any other way again. So if I might, let me share with you this concept. Every nation has a flag. America has a flag, and that flag stands for something. When you look at that flag, it is supposed to represent what? Freedom, liberty, justice for all. Even though those words are not on the flag, that's what the flag is supposed to stand for. Well, beloved, listen. The cross is heaven's flag. 
You get that? It's, it's the blood-stained banner. It's heaven's flag. And so the devil understands that if, the, if everything revolves around the cross, all I have to do is manipulate the meaning of the cross, and I've got a people in my hand. So now what we have is that there are many people, well-meaning Christians, who do not understand what the cross really represents. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, we don't need to turn there, I'll just give you the verse, Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 19, the Bible tells us that the cross has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. Amen? So the cross says there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Well, guess what? This theology that places Israel in a particular end-time scenario that God has a separate and special plan for them, that the Gentiles are the stepchildren and the Jews are still God's, and this, 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 this prophet or this teaching that the, that the middle wall of partition is still there is actually anti-cross. How many of you understand that? In other words, the fact that the cross is met, when you look at the cross, what do you see? One of the things you should see is no more middle wall of separation. Well, in building up that middle wall of separation, you effectively deny the cross. When you share this with your non-Adventist friends, you say, do you believe in a cross? Yes, I do. Show them a verse. Do you realize that what the cross accomplished was that there was no more separation between Jew and Gentile? So how can you say that? Don't you realize that when you're saying that, you're denying what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross? Do you want to deny Jesus Christ? See, it's no longer, do you want to deny that what I've just told you is truth, Israel is... No, do you believe in Jesus? That's all I want to know. If you believe in the cross, then there's no way you can possibly accept this teaching. How about this one? Ooh, hellfire. Did you know that the cross proves that hellfire and eternally burning hell is totally unbiblical? Are you ready? Oh, man. Uh, I'm just going to have fun up here by myself. You know, and you guys may be hot out there, but I'm hotter up here. And uh, anyway, so listen. Did Jesus pay the full penalty for our sins? If he did not pay the full penalty for our sins, what would happen to us? We would all be what? We would all be lost. So listen now. Here's the question. Are the wages of sin death or eternal torment well we know the answer but what are they going to say eternal torment okay very well then if the wages of sin is eternal torment can you show me where Jesus paid that penalty oh man in other words, beloved, if Jesus paid the full penalty, and if the full penalty is eternal torment, then Jesus should be suffering when? Now. But the fact is that Jesus was only dead for how many days? Three days. So if Jesus paid the full penalty as the cross demonstrates,
and he did not suffer eternally, then either he got a major discount or we're all lost or the wages of sin is not eternal torment. So now, do you believe in the cross? Yes, I believe in the cross. Well, if you believe in the cross, all I'm asking you to do is show me where Jesus paid that penalty that you say the wages of sin is, eternal torment. Did Jesus suffer infinitely? Think with me. Did Jesus suffer infinitely? Yes, he did. <laughs> he suffered infinitely. He did not suffer eternally. It was without measure, yes. But it was not without measure of time. You see, there's a difference. It hurt infinitely, but it did not hurt eternally. You get the difference? Jesus suffered infinitely. It was beyond measure. We cannot even fathom it, but he did not suffer eternally. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that the wages, that the penalty of our transgressions was laid upon him. So he suffered what the wicked will suffer in the last days. And Jesus did not suffer forever. Do you see that? Very simple. Just show me where Jesus paid that penalty, and I will believe that the wages of sin is eternal torment and hellfire. And if Jesus didn't pay it, then we're all lost. Or that's not the wages of sin. Did Jesus die? Oh, yeah, he paid that. And if that's what he paid, then that's what the wages of sin is, everyone. Death. Can you say amen? Very good. Now, let's go on to the cross and the law. I want you to notice with me. Well, you don't need to turn here. I'll give you the verse. Revelation 17. And you'll remember that mystery Babylon is described as having a golden cup in her hand. How many of you ever remember reading that? She's got a golden cup in her hand. What's in the cup? Abominations. But what is it called? Wine. Okay? Now remember, Babylon is this woman. She's a counterfeit of the church of God, and she's got a cup in her hand. So the question is, what is in this cup? If Babylon is a counterfeit, then what's in the cup must also be a what? A counterfeit. Now notice this. When we go back to, to, to Jesus' time where he's giving his disciples the Last Supper, he not only gave them bread, but he also gave them a what? cup. And what did he say about the cup? This is the blood of my new what? Testament or my new covenant. Now, what kind of grape juice did Jesus give his disciples? What? Unfermented wine. It was pure grape juice. It represented the pure teaching of his gospel, of his doctrine, of the new covenant. But what Babylon is giving is a counterfeit Version. <laughs> a counterfeit version. This wine is fermented. It's causing people to get drunk, to misunderstand. And by the way, let me, I'm going to come back to that thought. I have to. No, let me just share it now. <laughs> Do you know why the Bible tells us that we should not drink? Proverbs 31. Notice that with me very quickly. Proverbs chapter 31. Notice what the Bible says here. Proverbs 31, verse 3. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. 
Notice that? Give not thy strength unto who? Women. Babylon with her daughters. Don't give your strength unto women, nor that would destroy kings. Why? It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and what? Come on, people. Lest they drink and do what? Forget the law. So then Babylon has a cup in her hand which she is giving to the world. It is a counterfeit of the covenant of Christ, which is the Ten Commandments written on our hearts. And this cup that Babylon is drinking is designed to make people forget the law. Wow. What commandment begins with the word remember? The Sabbath. The wine that Babylon is giving to the world is a counterfeit version of the gospel in the name of the cross of Christ. <laughs> because of the cross, we keep Sunday. In fact, because of the cross, we no longer have to keep the law of God. Everything is because of the cross. You know what's interesting? The Bible tells us that, uh, you know, we have a situation, sin. The cross was designed to deal with the problem of sin. So we have three options here. Number one, God could have either gotten rid of humanity, who was the problem. Could he have done that? But the Bible tells us, the cross tells us that God so loved the what? World that between rebellious humanity and his son, he allowed his son to die. Can you imagine how much God loved us? That he allowed his son to die? So that's not the way he went. He didn't, uh, he didn't uh, get rid of humanity. But some say, well, this is how we solve the sin problem. He got rid of the thing that declared us to be guilty. Are you following me? What declared us guilty? The law of God. So they say, oh, I know the cross. It didn't get rid of humanity because God loved us so much. No, it got rid of the law. That's what it got rid of. We're under grace now. We're not under the law. It is a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the cross. Here's why. Because the Bible describes sin as a transgression of the law. First Peter tells us that when the angels in heaven sinned, God did not spare them. You know what that means? Between the angels who sinned or broke God's law and God's law, God could have said, hmm, angels or law. I can get rid of my law and keep the angels, or I can get rid of the angels and keep the law. Angels, angels or law, angels or law. Sorry, angels, you've got to go. God would not even change the law for angels. But more than that, the Bible says if God spared not his own son, his own son from what? The penalty of the law. So watch this. Between the law and his own son, when Jesus cried out, Father, if there be some other way. Remember that? And here it is. The father has to say, the law or my son? I can get rid of the law and save my son. Or I can allow my son to die and not change a jot or tittle of the law. And between the two, he let his son 
die. Now, if God, if the cross demonstrates that God would not even change the law for his own son, then how could the law all of a sudden mean that God changed the law after his son died? Beloved, it is a rejection of the very thing the cross stands for to teach that the law of God has been changed or done away with. Ellen White says this, as the sinner looks upon the Savior dying on Calvary and realizes that the sufferer is divine, he asks why this great sacrifice has been made. And the cross points to the holy law of God which has been transgressed. The death of Christ is an unanswerable argument to the immutability and the righteousness of the law. Wow. Please, bear with me just a little while longer. We're learning how to build. Amen? Amen. Bear with me just a moment longer. The cross and death. Do you realize the cross reveals that death, that, that uh, uh, the wicked do not possess immortality? Very simple. John 3.16 tells us, for God, come on, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's the cross, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, beloved, when the dead die, you cannot just be naturally immortal, whether you're wicked or you don't believe in God or whatever. You cannot have immortality unless you have Jesus Christ. Did you catch that just now? It is a direct affront to the cross because what the cross tells us is that eternal life is available only through the sacrifice of Christ. But what many Christians are saying is, no, you have eternal life no matter what. It's not just the cross that gives you eternal life. You just, you are born naturally immortal. The cross, beloved, denies that teaching. Do you know that the cross proves our health message? <laughs> You know that? When Jesus was upon that cross and uh, they tried to give him what? Vinegar. And even on the cross, Jesus, nope, not taking it. Not taking it. In fact, beloved, it's the very cross that, don't you realize that in Peter's vision, because that the fact that Jesus died, we're not, because of the cross, we're not allowed to eat anything we want to eat. Because of the cross. Isn't that something else? The very vision that God says, this I have now declared humanity clean. Whoever accepts me is no longer to be viewed as a Gentile, but as clean. The devil takes that very thing and says, oh yeah, because of the cross of Christ, now you can go ahead and defile yourselves. Do you see how confused Many well-meaning Christians are because of their misunderstanding of the cross of Christ. Beloved, God is calling us to something very powerful. Listen, let me share with you just three more points here. Number one, we're going to talk about the three angels' messages. First, the Sabbath. This is absolutely amazing, beloved. Do you realize that the cross proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the Sabbath is God's special sign to his people? Here we go. Do you remember the first test that was given to Israel when they came out of Egypt? What was it? God rained down what? Manna, six days, and on the seventh day, how much did he rain down? He rained down none. Now, why did he do that? 
What was his purpose? What was he trying to teach them? Trust, okay? They were to trust. They were to have full assurance. And the Sabbath was the test of their trust or their having full assurance. Now, why so? Because listen, on the seventh day, they were to trust in the provision that was given to them on what day? The sixth day. How much was given to them on, on the sixth day? Double fold. Now, here's a question. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the what? Bread of life. I'm that manna that came down from heaven. So Jesus picks up this analogy, I'm the bread of life. So if he's the bread of life, then we can expect that something special would have happened on a sixth day in the life of Jesus. Anybody knows what happened on a Friday with Jesus? He was crucified. Whoo! So get this now. What comes, in, in other words, the cross of Christ was the double portion, the abounding, more than abounding blessing that God had given to us. And now, what comes the day after Jesus dies? It's the Sabbath. Do you realize that the Sabbath is a test to see whether we trust in the full provision made for us at the cross? That's what it is, beloved. Every Sabbath we keep, we are saying, I trust in the full provision made for me at the cross. I will rest in him. That means I am resting from my own works. And what are my own works? The works of the flesh. What? <laughs> beloved, the Sabbath reveals our ultimate trust in the sacrifice of Christ. You see, and then the second angel's message is about Babylon. Babylon has fallen. Why? Because she is making all nations drink this counterfeit wine. God calls us to go on the greatest blood drive this world has ever seen. Giving to the world the true blood of the Lamb. Because they are drinking a counterfeit blood. And finally, the third angel's message, beloved, is, is, is dealing with a people who offer up to God something he didn't ask for. Who was the first person marked in the Bible? Cain. Why was Cain marked? He killed his brother. Why did he kill his brother? Because he was jealous. Because the sacrifice he offered up was a, are you ready for this? It was a bloodless sacrifice. Cain offered a lamb. Abel offered the fruit of his own labor. Those in the last day who receive the mark are those who ultimately deny what the cross stands for. Those who ultimately deny the sacrifice of Christ by saying, yeah, the cross represents this, 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 and I will kill for it. They, they receive that deception with everything they have. Beloved, the chief cornerstone has been pushed to the side. God is saying, we don't have much more to build. We've got all the truth. 
We've got the truth of God's word. Now, just take the chief cornerstone and put it back where it belongs. And when the temple is built, 2 Chronicles tells us that when Solomon finished building the temple, he prayed and the house was filled with the glory of the Lord. Beloved, how many of you want the house filled <laughs> with the glory of the Lord? Let me tell you, when we begin to preach Christ and him crucified, when we begin to make Christ the center there will be a power to our preaching that will convince and convict any genuine Christian out there in any denomination out there. This, beloved, is the message that is to go forth with great power and glory. This is what's going to add power to the three angels' messages. We have talked about what it means to rise. And now we have talked about what it means to build. How many of you are ready to build? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We have labored long at your word, but we thank you tonight for showing us the blueprint once again. Father, may we truly make Christ and him crucified the center of our teaching, but also the center of our living. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. We want to see people receive the truth like never before. And you've given us the simple promise, Lord, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Thank you, Father, for showing us tonight that Christ is not only the book ends, but he is also the center. Save us, Lord. Forgive us for rejecting that cornerstone for so long. And now, Lord, we pray Empower us, empower us to go forth and to build in Jesus' name. Amen. was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's 
www.powerofthelamb.com or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080. That's 805-226-8080. Thank you and God bless.